Hi everyone and welcome to the author's journey highlighting stories of local authors here in our community. My name is Moni Dujeji and I'm delighted to have with me here today an author from the Smith Falls area who is here to share his story as an author. Welcome Hugh Long. Thanks, Moni. Thanks it's for having me. It's terrific to have you here and to finally meet you in person. We've spoken yeah, so many times. Exactly. Yeah, it's been a long <laughs> That's time. That's terrific. Well, you know what? Uh, tell me how you got started as, uh, as an author. So I wanted to write my entire life, um, probably since the time I was a little kid. But of course, you know, uh, I had practical parents that said, you know, that's really not a good career. You should try something else. You know, it's a nice hobby, a doctor. right? Something you yeah, do on the side, Yeah, you know, write right? on the side or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I took that advice. It was good mm. advice because I had a very, very great career in tech and did lots of wonderful things. And all those experiences, you know, added to the repertoire of knowledge I have that I can now bring to my books. Um, but I started writing poetry in high school, mm -hmm. and then later on in my tech career, I started writing some technical articles, and uh, I won an award accidentally. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, and so you know, a few things like that happened that kind of encouraged me. But I stayed with with tech, and I had a family, and you know, so I really yeah. I didn't pursue that uh, that dream of writing. Um, and then in 2009. I got laid off from the company I was working at. I was I moved from Oracle to a small company, trying to look for like a startup, you know, situation. And uh, it was great for a little while, but they just kind of fizzled out. And so I was in D.C., you know, a long way that from Canada. That would be Washington D.C. Washington D.C. Exactly. I was a long way from home. Yeah. And. I really didn't feel like going back into tech. I wanted to do something different. I was just about hitting 40, I think, at the time, mm. and I was thinking to myself, you know, like, what have I done with my life at this point, right? Uh, sure, I've done projects in tech and it's been successful and all that, but, you know, have I made any kind of lasting contribution to the world or done anything? And so I guess it was a midlife crisis for me, totally. and I said, <laughs> I'm going to write a book. And so I took the next nine months and wrote my first book, which was Northern Lore. Yeah, I think um, I have a copy of this book here. Because yeah. Northern Lore, yeah, this is the first book of yours that, uh, that I actually read. It's a, it's a great little book. Mm -hmm. And that book cost me a lot of money to write. Yeah. I, I took nine months off, still paying mortgage and doing everything wow. else, and, and wrote that book. And uh, glad I did, though. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I kind of... Started, that started, yeah. Because you know this book, um, you know this is. Uh, we'll start talking about this book here because how you must have done a lot of research to get into this book. Because can you tell me a little bit first of all about what this book is about for those sure. who, who don't know? So what I wanted to capture was sort of an overview of not just Norse mythology, but also kind of where Northern culture, the Northern European culture has kind of evolved yeah. uh, today in terms of their spirituality, in terms yeah. of their use of things like runes, like anybody that's seen Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or read those books, We'll know what runes are, you know, these, these symbols. So these were actually an ancient form of writing, and, you know, they're still used today in some places. Uh, there's a place in Sweden that has these forest runes, so things are still alive. Um, but why this topic? I'm curious. What is it about Norse, kind of the northern cultures or, the, or that mythology that attracted you? Well, my mother are descended from Highlanders and my father's descended from the Norse. So, you know, it's kind of in my blood and I was kind of looking back into my own past and trying to figure out who my ancestors were and figure out, you know, what happened to that culture and where did it all go and, you know, what does it look like today? You know, and you can see the runes, are, well, so my fam famous example is the days of the week. Most people don't know that most of the days of the week are named after Germanic gods and goddesses. I did not know that. Well, I did not know that until I read your book. Right, exactly. <laughs> then I learned. So then, for example, Monday comes from the Norse god? Manny, the moon. The moon. 
Okay, and Tuesday yeah. comes is from? Tear. So it's Tuesday, like T-Y-W. And the spellings all change a little bit depending sure. when you go from region to region. Okay. But you know, the English, uh, the Germans, the Norse, they were all the same sort of family of gods. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. Because there's so a lot of that kind that. of information. Like it's a very research intensive it kind is. of book. I mean, you tell it very well. You tell the, the kind of the stories and the culture very well. But that must have taken a, like a lot of research. It did. Like, I mean, I didn't just sit down and say, okay, I'm going to research this book and write this right. book. This is this is a product of kind of my life learning. You know, I've always been fascinated by these things, uh, whether, you know, Greek mythology, Norse mythology, right. Hindu mythology. You know, these things have been kind of uh, themes in my life, if you will. Yeah. You know, so. So it's interesting that. Um that uh, you weave in the, the kind of uh, Nordic and um, culture. I'm curious to know, um, is there something about that philosophy or any teaching specifically that resonates with you more than others or that has influenced you? I don't know about that. Um, I would say I like some of the practicality of some of the, the old sayings. Um, there's a piece of poetry called the Have em All. Yeah, um, that's from your the, the new book, the other yep. book. Not new. It's not. It's not new anymore. Northern Wisdom. Yep. Yep. Northern Wisdom talks about this Havamal. So, what is the Havamal for those who have never heard of it? So, I call it the Tau of the Vikings, okay. or the Tau of the North, right? <laughs> and it's really nothing to do with the Tau, but the Tau is, yeah. you know, a collection of wisdom, just like the Havamal is. You know, things. It's it says very simple things like, uh, you know, make sure you stock up you know, wood before the winter. I mean, you know, silly little things like that, but there's also more complex things like runic spells and, uh, mm. you know, um, just little, little wise, you know, tidbits. Tidbits. So then, with the, um, with, was the Havamal written in, what language was it written in? It wouldn't have been written in English. No, it would be written in Old Norse, uh, or I guess slash Icelandic, back in the 1200s, I think, by uh, okay. Snorri Sturluson. I think he was a, um, he was a Christian bishop you okay. know, back back in those days. So but yeah, he was writing this long after the fact too. These were kind of tales that were dying, okay. and I think Snorri didn't want to see these things die, so he recorded all these. And so, did you translate from the Nor from the Norse language or the Icelandic language, whatever language it was in then? We tried that. So actually, Northern Wisdom was an interesting project because it was the first yeah. one I'd ever done as kind of a crowdsourced book. Well, explain that to me. What do you mean by that? Well, so what I did was I created a Facebook group back in 2011, mm -hmm. and I asked people to help me decipher the have them all. So each of the sayings are translated by, say, three or four different people in the 1800s, and they all sound a bit different, and it's yeah. all archaic language. So some of, the, some of the wisdom was, it just didn't make any sense to us. You know, something about a hovering crane. Well, these things don't mean anything to us these days. So I got a whole bunch of people to analyze the three different main translations, and then we came up with what we thought are an interpretation of kind of a modern look a at modern these. Thing. Yeah, wow. that's uh, that must have been a fascinating project just all on it really its own. Was. Yeah, it really was. Was there one? Because um, I've, I've read the book. Is there one teaching or one wisdom that you go, "Oh, I really like this one," and I find that one really resonates with me? Yes, and it's funny that you should ask this. So. The saying is, a better burden than knowledge no man can carry. Better burden. Yeah, there's like, there's nothing, you know, it, it's, it's a great burden to carry that knowledge. Um, and when you go into Reykjavik, into yes. the airport through customs, that quotation in the Havamal is up there. Interesting. So. 
Well, I know that you just came back from Iceland. I did. Yeah, so, I did. <laughs> so was that for another research? Was it for more research that you're doing? You know, initially it was kind of because I yeah. was going to be visiting some of uh, different historical sites, and, and but I just got seduced by the landscape. Iceland is just, you know, it's it's mesmerizing. Yeah. So I didn't get much research done, but I did enjoy myself. So that was yes, I saw from the pictures. Yeah, it, was, it was nice. It was a good yeah. time. No? It really was. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that you've also ventured beyond kind of this world of the mythology and the spirituality and the traditions of the Nordic cultures and you've moved on into science fiction as well and yep. into young adult and you you cross different genres and I'm wondering why you decided to to do that why you can you decided to kind of go exploring into that territory yeah you know good question so Really, as far as nonfiction goes, and that's, you know, the, the other books I've written, Northern Wisdom, Northern Lore, and I've also done one on, on plants, uh, Northern Plant that's Lore. That's right, that's right. Um, those were the books I wanted to write, and that was it. There, were, there was nothing else from a nonfiction perspective that I wanted to kind of dig into. But there were a lot of um, kind of fictional tales that I wanted to tell, and I really felt like tapping mm. into Norse mythology and other mythologies was kind of a good route to go. And I mean, I'm not the only one. Neil Gaiman, for example, with his American Gods, it okay, is just Neil steeped. Neil Gaiman, for those who don't know that world, and I only know yeah. that world because my husband loves graphic novels and that whole world. Who is Neil Gaiman? So Neil Gaiman is, is a rather famous writer now. Um, previously, he was mainly graphic novel guy. Right. He did things like The Sandman. Exactly, The Sandman. Um, there's a book called Coraline, I think, yeah. is for younger readers. American Gods is probably about 12 years old now, so it's been around okay. for quite a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he incorporates a lot of mythology into his fiction, and he's just come up with a book of Norse mythology. So yeah, so so you found that even Neil Gaiman was really the only person who was even writing a little bit about uh, that mythology, and I guess there really isn't very much if you think about it. There's Thor. The only thing I the only thing oh, when, when I huge. think of that that world is yep. just Thor, and you know the one of he's one of the of all the movie characters, yep. I'm sure, and yes, yeah, and that's exactly. it, comic character, and that's it. You know, and yeah. so basically, you know, people always ask, you know, why do you write a certain book? And it yeah. was because I wanted to write what I wanted to read. I loved mythology, I loved science fiction and fantasy, and I really wanted to see more of that. Um, there was a guy named Powell Anderson who is, is dead now. He was very famous back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even yeah. in the 80s. And he was, I believe he was Norwegian, and he tied a lot of mythology into his science fiction and fantasy as well. And I really wanted to kind of pick up that torch because he did such a great job you know, in the last century, and I want to continue with that as well. Well, so. I love this, the whole idea of, uh, it's a mashup of the very futuristic, science yeah. fiction is all yeah, futuristic, exactly. and you're trying to tie into that um, very traditional uh, kind of teachings and, and ideas. And so how was that process of trying to marry those two together? Because that's not easy, because science fiction kind of speaks its own language, yeah. and definitely the, this mythology speaks its own language. So how do you mash those two together? Well, I started with the question, what if the gods weren't just myths? You know, what if they were real? What would what the world the look like? Real? What if mm. the gods were real? What effect would that have on the world? What, you know, alien cultures might we encounter? Yeah. And so, you know, I did kind of a mental exploration of, of those themes for quite a long time. I actually spent probably a year and a half building up the world behind uh, the Tribes of Yggdrasil series that I wrote. Right, and I'm not sure I have this, the Tribes of, uh, how do, you, so how do I pronounce third, it? 
Uh, the tribes, tribes of, of Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil. And what does Yggdrasil mean? Yggdrasil is the world tree. It's like the center axis of, ah, of everything, okay. right? Yes. And so the tribes of Yggdrasil is just meant to imply the tribes of these northern peoples, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so the tribes of Yggdrasil, despite it sounding very fantasy, is all science fiction. You know, it starts a couple hundred years in our potential future, mm -hmm. and, you know, they meet other alien races, which are actually races from, you know, Norse mythology, the Alfar and the dwarves and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I love this idea of trying to, to kind of bring some of the traditional wisdom teachings. I love wisdom teachings. I love um, yeah, so anything I. that's kind of old, not older, kind of, that has a, a solid wisdom, a universal wisdom, and that wisdom is kind of passed on through different... There's a timeless quality to it. Exactly. Yeah. And I love bringing that timelessness into more modern settings. Yeah, exactly. And I love this idea of doing it in a science fiction setting, which is always, you know, gets your mind and imagination going. You know, I, I'd love, I want to continue this conversation with you. We do have to go to a quick sure. break. So please stay tuned, everyone, as we continue our very fascinating conversation with Hugh Long on the author's journey. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the author's journey, where today I'm delighted to have with me local author Hugh Long. And I must say, Hugh is just one of the names that you go by, <laughs> because as I was, well, I've read some of your books, and I realized partway into reading some of the books, it's like, wait a minute, his name is Hugh Long, but he writes his books under a pen name. Indeed, I do. Like this one, for example. If you look at uh, the title, he's uh, Ewan Odinson. Okay, Ewan Odinson. <laughs> so tell me, why why the change in names? Why did you decide to use a pen name? Because I don't know very many authors who do that. So why? So people do it mainly for market differentiation. So if you're writing two extremely different genres, and I'll give you a good example today. I have a lot of author friends who also write erotica. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But they would rather that be kind of on the side and have it not quite connected with their public persona, right? Mm. And so a lot of them adopt a, a pen name just for that reason. Okay. So in my case... So um, you're writing erotica on the side is what you're telling I'm me? I'm not. I'm not. I should, <laughs> just you know. So a lot of money in it. <laughs> a lot really of money in be. it. Oh, okay. I wish Interesting. I could. For the authors out there. <laughs> my, my Catholic upbringing makes me blush, so I can't, I can't write those things. Um, but no, so... I was doing this to uh, partly to market differentiate, but also I took on that name to, as kind of an homage. So Yoen is simply my name, Hugh, in Gaelic. Okay. So Yoen, Hugh, it's all basically the same name, just kind of changed a little bit. And Odinson is kind of a nod to Odin, the Norse god of knowledge. Yes, right? you're the, so son, the son of Odin. Exactly. Right, yeah. so you and the son of Odin. Okay, exactly. so, so for your nonfiction, you go with Yoen, is that right? That's and your fiction, you go with Hugh Long. Exactly. Yeah. And would you recommend this as a strategy for uh, for authors? Has that worked so for you? Do you think? It's worked for me because those market segments are so different. But yeah. if you're writing, say, science fiction and fantasy and YA, for example, which are, are not all that different, I would suggest probably staying with the one name. And the reason is just because it's easier to get found for search engine search optimization, engine, yeah. things like that. I mean, these are very small details, but they can make mm. a big difference later. So for the average person, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a pen name. But yeah. for certain reasons, it, it does, does and can work quite well. So do you have more than one pen? Like you've got the two pen <coughs> names. And so are you considering other pen names? Because I know you keep working on different yeah. genres. 
So I am. I was considering using uh, Hugh McGregor. Hugh which McGregor. Hugh is my first name, obviously. Yes. <laughs> uh, and McGregor is my mother's clan, my mother's Scottish clan. Yeah. Um, so I had considered using that for fantasy. I haven't done anything with it yet, mm -hmm. but I registered it and I've got the domain address and, yeah. you know, so. It's ready to go in case I want it. <laughs> well, many, like multiple personalities. You've got many different well, hats sure, to wear. Sure. Yeah. Well, and as you say, I think um, the SEO component is yep. very important because, it especially is. as you. Um, as you have more than one book written, you want people to find you. Exactly. So how do you get around that? Like, how do you make sure that the people who search for you also are finding in some way or connecting to Ewan as well and some of the, the future names that you have? So I do try to cross-pollinate inside my books. So I may have, you know, um, a, a one-page ad for my other books at the back of my science fiction or vice versa. Okay. On my website, I do cross-pollinate. So for example, where I've got fantasy, uh, um, yeah, you have a this book, for book example, yeah. Of Ice and Magic, which is a small novella, yeah. it's all set in Iceland in this you know, um, magical environment, um, and it makes use of the runes. So at the bottom of that page on my website, I also yeah. have my book on runes related to that story. Okay. You know, so I try to find ways to relate things. Yeah, because it's important, as you say, because you want authors, even though you're, um, you know, I understand the kind of the market differentiation, yeah. you still want them to be able to see your other, the other works that you have as well you do yeah, yeah. so that's that's a good strategy yeah. yeah, so it, it's worked for me, you know, and uh, like I say, there are some cases where if you're the average indie, it's probably better not to do that because you do want that consolidation, you want the mm -hmm. SEO, so. Mm -hmm. No, I like that. And you know, I was, as I kind of look at, uh, at your books, I, especially for your science fiction, I, I just, I love the covers. Thank the you. The artwork, I mean, obviously artwork is, is very important in any, in any book, but for the science fiction, I mean, this is like beautiful artwork that you've got going on here. This is for uh, the tribes, if I can't pronounce the, the name. Well, Starlight <laughs> is the told. main title, but Tribes of Victory is a series. Yes. Oops. So that cover was actually done by a friend of mine, Andrew yes. Schneider and his wife, and Andrew's worked on the Matrix movies. So I'll I mean, get out of here. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's nice a fairly well-known animator. Yeah, I'm, nice I'm lucky. Yeah, an old high school buddy of mine from the area. Is he really? Yeah, yeah oh, he lives on the West that. Coast now, of course, so doing movies and television out there. So. Oh, well, good for him. Yeah. So then do you, um, for those people who don't work with a lot of, is he a graphic design artist or is he just an he's artist? He's an artist. In general. So he does animation and okay. just general graphic stuff. I don't know the ins and outs of all. Okay. Yeah. Because a lot of, obviously, a lot of authors will want to, to know how to create a, a compelling book cover. Sure. And so this is one that where you work, you knew somebody and you work with yeah. someone specifically. But your other books also have very, like, very interesting covers as well. Thanks. Yeah. So do you, how do you, do you do them yourself or who do you work so, with? Yeah, those I do myself. And uh, if I can use an example here. Sure. So, um, I, I buy that? images, like that old man is uh, is a stock image. He's just a man from a, from a retirement home or something. you know. And then I've got some kind of sci-fi in the background. I blend them in. So I do those myself because I do have some experience and right. some inclination for it. Um, if you don't have graphic design, Techniques or or, or yeah. you know or, or the tools to do it. I would suggest farming that out to somebody because it is very important of a good cover. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. I mean that that's obviously you know it enters through the eyes first. You have to it have does. you have to have that con that kind of imagery first to, to to allow people to read it. They say don't judge a book by its cover, but everybody does. Everybody I'm sorry does. To say. It's, it's true just, though. It's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Actually, I'm curious. So. Are all your books ebooks as well, or are they all hardcover? Yes. No, I've, hard I've got them all in ebook and paperback. Okay. Yeah, and do you do you publish available. yourself? Yes. Or, or are you yourself published? Yeah. 
Okay. So I opened uh, just, you know, I, I created my own little publishing firm a few years ago. Okay. Uh, for my latest project, I am looking for a publisher, though. Okay. I'm hoping sure. to kind of take that to the next level. So tell me about your latest project. What's that sure. about? Sure. So um, I wrote a, a novella called Abhuman. And Abhuman. Yeah. And I self-published that. And it did very, very well. I've got, it's over here somewhere in the studio. Yeah. Um, there it is. Kids there. in Washington State High School Book Club have used it and oh, wow. really liked it. Yeah, so the novella did really well and people wanted the rest of the story. They wanted the book. So I've now written the entire book. It's ready to go. Yeah. And I have beta readers um, yeah, working on it now. Yeah, I ask you about yeah. that. You know, um, what's a, what's a beta, beta reader? I know obviously the concept of having beta uh, testing yeah. when you're working with technology. You want to yeah, make sure that exactly. it works properly. And so uh, I understand it in that context. But as a writer, I think one of the, I think the, the challenges that writers face is not wanting to show their early work, yeah. unfinished yeah. work or work in process to other people. So that's a scary thing to open up can be, your sure. unedited and, and unfinished work yeah. to an audience that can be very harsh and very critical. It is. So why do you use beta testing? Why do you well, use that? And it's for the same reason that people beta test software because you really want to find out where any of the little bumps and, and hiccups are before you send this to a publisher before you send this to readers who are paying for it, right? And so the beta readers, what I ask them to do is read through the book and give me their impressions. Are there things that didn't work? Are there characters that fall flat? You know, are there situations that just don't seem to make sense to mm -hmm. you? You know, so they, they kind of give me that initial, you know, kind of once over of the book. Yeah, but you have to have a good sense of uh, uh, self-confidence, I guess, if you will, as a writer, to say, I'm going to open myself up yeah. to other people's criticisms of, of my work. And that's not always an easy an easy thing to accept. Yeah, you have to. And I mean, that's that's yeah. part of being a writer. I'm an introvert by nature, so you know, coming on television or letting people read my books, all these things are, are challenges. Mm -hmm. But it's a challenge you have to overcome because you can write the best book in the world, but if, if people won't read it, then what's the point? You know, sometimes just writing a book for yourself is fine if that's what yeah. you're going for, but I, I want something a little bit more. I want people to read my stories, you know? Yeah. So I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, they're smooth enough so that when they get to market, people are happy and, you know, like the books mm -hmm. they see. And, it, you know, what I've written so far, people have been happy with, so. Well, that's terrific. Yeah. In a way, you're almost doing the job of what an editor would do in a traditional publishing firm, because the editor's <laughs> job is to go through the, the manuscript mm -hmm. and then you know make sure that it flows, make sure that the characters have you know the punch that they need, grammatical errors, all of that is the job of an editor. So in this modern world of writing, um, having the beta readers and people review your work in advance, it becomes that. Well, and I, I still though I still go through editing cycles as well. Okay. So once my beta readers have looked at the the very grainy manuscript, mm -hmm. uh, I then go through an editing cycle or two editing cycles. Do you um, do it yourself, or do you give it to somebody else? I do my own editing before I send it to the beta readers. So before the beta readers get it, I've actually gone through the entire manuscript okay. and done as much as I can. Yeah. Then the beta readers go through it and hopefully give me any kind of structural changes. Then it goes to a final, hopefully one or two editors to, you know, cross the T's, cross dot the, the I's, you know, make sure nothing's, yeah. you know, missing, whatnot. And I think that's very valuable because um, 
a lot of authors, I think, in, in their desire, in their rush to see their work published, yeah. uh, miss that very important step because editing is, for me, a key step. And one of the, the knocks that I think a lot of self-published authors get Indeed. is that their work is not professional their exactly. work is not polished and I, I I mean I'm a big believer in good editing and it's good to also emphasize that point to authors who are out there it's like it's great that you have a good story but you know what until you can yep. get it polished and get get second sets of eyes to look at it in professional editing it's you know every story can be made better you know? yeah if I were to give any author one piece of advice it would be do not let your book go out the door before yep. someone else, a professional, has edited it. Absolutely. You know, I pay for that, it costs money, but it's the best investment I make. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you, we're down to kind of the last two or three minutes of the show. How do you stay inspired as a writer? Because, you know, you write across so many different genres. I know you got some young adult books as well yep. going on. Yep. You've got uh, the more traditional nonfiction. So how do you, how do you stay inspired? There's, uh, you know, there's a lot to be inspired by. I mean, I, right now, there's so many great TVs and movie and books being produced. I think we're in a golden age of, of media right now. Yeah. Uh, it's so accessible. I mean, books, you know, you can go onto Amazon Prime and get, you know, hundreds and thousands of books for, for free reading. Um, you know, there's just so much out there that it inspires me all the time. You know, and there's so much mythology that I haven't tapped into. So I've still ah. got, you know, I've still got lots of stories that I can <laughs> I can pick from, you know. Are you going to stay with the, with the Norse, the northern mythology, I think? Well, my Ab Human uh, series, the, the novella, the YA series is not anything to do with mythology. Okay. So this is just complete sci-fi, uh, you know, young adult. Um, so I think fans of, you know, like Divergent and uh, The Hunger Games and whatnot that's kind of targeted at them. So do you see yourself kind of growing into that, those, genre, those genres even more? Into Probably. young adults, Probably. kind of staying in that kind of area, science fiction? You know, I write things that I enjoy, so if yeah. I'm enjoying the story, enjoying the series, I, I keep writing it. And if I lose interest, yeah. you know, then, you know, I, I would stop writing. I had a fan that asked me the other day when the fourth book in this series was going to be ready. Okay. So, so that's something I have to get onto as well. You know, that's, so. a, that's always a good, that's always a good indicator, was. you know, and yeah. it's a good, it's a feel good thing when your readers say, well, yeah, when's the next series coming up? It was, yeah, it was great to hear. Yeah, so. of course. You know, uh, we're down to less than a minute, and um, I just want to ask you, if you have any final words that you want to give to any aspiring author who's out there who thinks they have a story in them, what is that you would say to them for their journey? If you've got a burning desire to get a story out and to write, then do it. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like finishing a book. There's nothing like holding that in your hands when, when you've crafted that. I mean, it's a beautiful feeling. And so for people that want to do it, today is, this is the age to do it. With the tools and technology we've got today, this is, this is the time to write. Oh, well, that's great. That's good so. advice. Well, terrific. I want to thank you so much for well, coming on to the show today. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, your first television I did. experience. Yes, it was great. It was great. <laughs> and thank you all for, for tuning in to this episode of The Author's Journey. And we'll see you on the next one.